Hi, everybody. Welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show where coaching intersects baseball and softball, male and female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. Thank you for joining us today. As always, on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, new episodes every Wednesday at 9 a.m. That is cross-functionality. And then watch the show, too. You can do both. Listen and watch Softball Strength Academy on YouTube. Thank you very much for joining us today. Let me bring in my friend and co-host, former current national champion in this great sport of softball at the University of Alabama, current day renowned coach, Cassie Rod, the all-American girl herself, <laughs> Cassie Riley Bosha. I heard uh, Gus Johnson last year uh, during a college football game refer to Jenny Taft, his sideline reporter, as the all-American girl. That's and awesome. so I thought I'd just uh, address you in that well, very polite manner today. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm pretty fired up today. Although I couldn't really, if people watch on the YouTube side, I couldn't really get the lighting corrected mm. today. So I'm a little peeved about that. But all good. Yeah, all good. all good. Hey, if people want to write in jimbopodcast21 at mm-hmm. gmail.com and criticize, they are welcome to. But I said this before on the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast that they might be put on the pay no mind list, which is the spam <laughs> folder. Yes, there you go. <laughs> um, follow us on social media as well. I'm at Jim Tara on Twitter and Instagram. And Cassie is um, at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram and at coach Cassie RB on Twitter. You have some great stuff, great content on your Instagram. And one of the things that I was, one of the videos that I was watching and really caught my attention was the misconception in coaching nowadays, coaching softball players, coaching baseball players, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And those misconceptions have been fueled by the social media drive in the last 10 years. Let's discuss some of those misconceptions and, and what you're referring to in that video, because I think there's a lot. I Someday, if I do become a parent, it, it, I'm going to have a leg up because I understand what is BS and what's not. Same thing with you. But there's not there's not as many people out there like there's more people out there who might be confused rather than like us not confused. So what are some misconceptions that parents should watch out for? Yeah, you know, it's well, first and foremost, you want to find an individual that fits with your kid. There might be someone who is brilliant, but it does not establish a coaching relationship and a coaching connection. And if anything, that that when you have when you're you're you're, you have an athlete or a young kid who's saying, hey, this is my dream and I'm trying to protect it and I'm willing to trust you to help me protect that too. You want to make sure that that coach is aligned with that that person's goals and that person's aspirations um, and that they're not just uh, posting um, on social media, which is fine. Like there is a place to do it, but they're not just trying to get clout. They're not just trying to get, you know, I'm going to use this to get to my next step. Um and that they are actually trying to say, okay, how can I help make you a better person? How can I help make you a little bit more confident? How can I help those aspects of you first before just saying, all right, let's go break down the physical aspects. Um, in the same breath too, you don't want someone who is the other way where, where they may have played, let's say at the professional or very high level. And that the only thing that they can necessarily provide is just, hey, this is what worked for me. This is what I knew from when I played and they don't necessarily have any coaching background at all. It's just, they were a player that was good. And granted those, you will be able to get something out of uh, coaches like that, but they're probably not going to be someone who is waking up in the morning, studying about coaching, figuring out how to make that player just a little bit better. Right. And it's a lot of it. A lot of that comes from that old school mentality. I see a lot of it from the old school guys on social media and 
it's like politics one way or the other now there's no real middle ground unfortunately by the way i saw a picture and i was last night i have to tell you it was really awkward seeing former president trump former president obama and former secretary of state hillary clinton all of them sitting next to each other in a line with their spouses at the queen's funeral it had it was the most it gave me like the chills up my back this is so awkward. <laughs> so awkward. Jeez. <laughs> I, I encourage everybody to seek it out because it was on Yahoo last night. But it, that's what it's like with coaching now with the old school people. They don't want to hear one iota about how bodies move, about body composition, about getting stronger, and how all of that um, translates into your performance on the field. And where new school coaches a lot of times have gone completely the other way now with data, when especially when it comes to hitting, and they haven't seemingly both parties found that middle ground. You have um, looking at, of course, your Instagram and and as amount of times that we've talked. But um, there's more coaches out there that are one side or the other than you, who's right there in the middle ground. Well, and I, I think it's it's interesting too because the misconception is that I have completely figured out where I am. I feel sometimes like I am just constantly searching for what is that best combination. It's mm-hmm. um, and you know, interestingly enough, I got to speak to a, a field coordinator for a uh, pro team the other day, and he essentially is look overseeing all the coaching staff for that organization, what the language is, how they're speaking to athletes, how they're translating that message. And I asked him, I said, who, well, who is on your staff? And he goes, well, you have a strength and conditioning professional who doesn't necessarily need to have a background in baseball. Then you have your skill aspects. You have like your hitting, your pitching. They are very heavy also into analytics. But now there's a new position called an integrated baseball performance coach. And what they're doing is they're the person who is has uh, a baseball background but has studied strength and conditioning. And their sole responsibility is trying to merge these two worlds to make them make sense. So if you think of it, even at the highest levels, we're still trying to search for where does that happy medium exist? So much so that let's let's create this position, let's create this role that basically hasn't really existed before in, in our sport because it becomes that important. I, I do think too, as a parent, we have to look at where your kid is in the developmental spectrum. A Athlete who is, you know, in the seven, eight, nine range is going to have completely different requirements than the 10, 11, 12 range, than the athlete who's in 13, 14, 15, and et cetera. Moving, you know, as you move along that spectrum, the demands and the needs are going to be completely different. Um, and you can typically have a coach, if it really good one, who can help you adapt, but you're not always going to find a coach that's working with 16 year olds as well as nine year olds and 10 year olds. And, and the, right. they shouldn't be doing the same exact thing. I guess that is, that is what I'm getting at. They should have considerations for both fields to be very, uh, very impressive. So we shouldn't look again, we shouldn't look at major league baseball and be like, well, that's what we have to do for everybody. Cause obviously right. the demands and the needs are different. And the money's different as well. But uh, the question I have for you though, with integrating two positions into one to try to bridge that gap, I know the Arizona diamondbacks had it last year. The Marlins may have had it this year. It's that offensive game coordinator. Now I don't understand what the difference is between having one or two hitting coaches and what an offensive game coordinator does. Can you elaborate on that? Because I'm just not, I'm not buying it. I'm not seeing it, especially with Miami, for example. They have struggled mightily offensively. Young guys have taken real steps back. And I look at some of the veterans like a Miguel Rojas. He hasn't changed what he's been doing that's made him successful for so many years. So what exactly is an offensive, if you know, an offensive game type coordinator? And how does it differ from a hitting coach? Because I don't see it. 
Yeah. So, you know what? I don't know. And, but what I can start to like lend to is, is I guess the needs from a hitting perspective and how that's particularly changed. So I don't know necessarily what it used to be, but for, from now, like you have a player development standpoint where you have an athlete who is, is struggling at the plate and needs, has an issue. And from there, we need to try to figure out, okay, is this a, is this a actual hitting skill issue? Like we need to rewire the movement pattern or is this an actual strength and conditioning issue that they need to address in the weight room in order to correct um, now we also have this data and analytics, right? So you have an analytics department who is probably going to come in and be like, well, we can confirm your hypothesis that their back hip is being delayed by a tightness in the front hip, whatever, because his rotational acceleration is showing up as this. Now I have to imagine a, like further upon that, because this is something we did in college 10, 15 years ago is you have someone who's studying the opposing pitchers and you have someone who is trying to figure out okay, when you face a lefty with vertical break of X, Y, and Z, this is going to be like some of the adjustments we have to make as hitters in order to adapt. So I, I have to imagine there are probably so many different aspects to look at hitting. And when you have the resources at the major league level to do it, you're not going to have to rely on one or two people to do it. You can kind of create like a, a team of coaches to start doing things like that. Um, I've even heard that they're starting to look into different, there's certain camps that are looking into different bat sizes, depending on the pitcher you're facing. So, you know, the old adage is like, all right, I have this bat. I'm comfortable. It's almost like a superstitious thing. Like this is my bat. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, this guy has a spin rate of this. We're not going to be successful with this type of bat. And we're going to have to match him with a different bat. You know, it is interesting. I don't know if that's where it's where things are going to go. I just, I hear those conversations and I have to imagine that the requirement of resources and personnel to, to answer those questions is. I just thought of that scene in Seinfeld when George was talking with Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter. I don't know if you've, you used to watch Seinfeld. I'm sure your fiance watched Seinfeld and the guys that are yes, listening to this. My parents, you know what? I, I'm not a TV person in general, but my parents used to have it on. So I, I know what, what you're talking about. I just don't George is at Yankee episode. stadium and he's explaining, he came up with the original launch angle. <laughs> It's like That's the awesome. Simpsons when they predicted Donald Trump would be the be president one day. There you go, right? It's crazy. Gosh, we've brought things. Donald Trump up now twice in one podcast. <laughs> I got to tell you, um, the '90s and people are gonna might debate this, but the '90s was the best decade, and you and I both know that because we grew up in that decade. It was, you know, what? I am. Thankful. Had, everything was the best: the shows, the sports, the music. Uh, I'm thankful I didn't have social media when I was younger. Right. There was no social uh, I, media. I, not necessarily technology. Technology is not what scares me, but the media is what scares me. And I, I'm thankful that is how I got to grow up. And I'll, just, I'll know, that. Yeah. just know that the nineties was such a great decade that it carried over all the way into the two that halfway into the two thousands to 2005. Mm. Think about it. With the exception of nine 11, of course, 2000, 2000, most of 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004 were great years. Maybe it's because we had the we have the rosy colored glasses on and we're, we were kids. Maybe, maybe you know what? As a Yankees fan, I will say those were the. Best. Have you watched the captain? By the way, I, I just got finished the whole I series. I, you know what? I've had so many people recommend it. I will set aside time for it. Um, funny enough, and I, I, I think I don't know if I can talk about it yet. I'm there's like. Uh, I will let you know when I can talk about it, just to be Ooh, sure. But tease. That's a good are, tease. I know. I know. We. Uh, I have been looking at other documentaries to watch that I that I need to watch before a certain period of time. I'll leave it at that. All right. Good now, are you going to reveal this on later on a later episode? I can do that. I can do that. I just got to. just got to double check. Okay. Is it? I've never okay. been in a position where I had to be nervous about. Does, it, does this document? Does this document? Document. Um, 
uh, does this show or whatever, does it have to do with your championship, your previous it success? It might. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I can't say anything. Okay. I mean, there's not much else anyone would want to do a documentary on, I suppose. <laughs> well, I mean, we're like doing one like on this show. For, we've been doing it for like the past five weeks doing Fair. introspect. Did you yep. know that Derek Jeter's home in Tampa worth 20.2 million now oh. is being demolished? Tom Brady used to live there. No, I didn't. Um, I, yeah, it's being demolished on, on Davis Island. Very, very nice home. Why? Um, Tom Brady was kicked out uh, like mm. a year ago because it was it sold. And so Jeter said, hey, it's sold. Tom, yeah. you got to get out. Yeah. Mm. But I want to bring up Tom Brady for a second. Sure. Um, he um, has a radio show on Sirius XM. And he made some quotes. I don't have the exact quotes in front of me. I actually couldn't find them. But he did say something along the lines of, I've missed a lot of weddings. I've missed a lot of Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I haven't had a Thanksgiving in 20-something years. And it, 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 I, I thought of, of this show, and I thought of you, and we've been talking the past few weeks about careers ending. We talked about it last week. Go back and listen in the archives. It sounds like, to me, this guy emotionally is just finished. And mm. he's checked out, and he's he's done. But he's still so talented that he can still beat the <laughs> beat the Cowboys. He's so yeah. talented, he's going to win thirteen games this year, not even being emotionally involved. But it sounds like to me, when you start thinking about those things, all the times that you've missed with your family, your friends, is that the time where really, as an athlete, maybe it's just time to walk away? Yeah, you know, I I, I wonder, and I wonder because I didn't have that luxury to get to that point. I don't think. Because you have your your four years, right? And then, so I I would have to imagine you'd get to a point where you're like, man, I don't know if this is worth it now. When I also didn't have the luxury of being the best potentially ever, and that might be a burden. Whoa, wait, hold on, wait, hold on, we got it. Hold on. Okay. okay, potentially, potentially in the conversation. You're saying the you're saying Brady's ever. potentially the best ever. I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. I didn't. Know. There's a lot of conversations. I I think he's he probably is, but I didn't again. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep that between you and me. He's not done. He's not done yet. So who knows? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. He's not my favorite player of all time. My favorite player of all time is Troy Aikman, but. Okay. But he, he he's, he's the best of all time. There you go. Thank you. So uh, people like to debate that. So I didn't want to just flat out say it, but. Well, they can debate us. Email us gmailpodcast21 <laughs> at gmail.com. I have to imagine if you are in that role, it's like it is a burden to feel like you have not depleted all of what you have to give to the sport maybe or maybe all of what you have to like could you retire knowing you still had something in your tank could you retire knowing you know what i could have won a world uh, super bowl had i played that might be a greater burden than missing out on the family events um and so i guess maybe once that scale tips once he's like you know what i don't think i have that in me anymore it's just i don't envy that position that is that has to be a little gut-wrenching and to be honest I do think females are kind of um, based on how our sports structure is set up for the most part. Um, it's almost like, I don't think people realize how difficult of a burden that is. Like you, you mentioned it last week, like dangling, like a, something on a, on a, on a, on a string, like for yeah. at least like the idea of a potential pro, like we don't have that. We also have to deal with that decision. Like we don't ever have to, usually girls don't have to be the ones that say my career is over. Something mm -hmm. else is telling us. And as heartbreaking as that can be in some respect, we don't have to deal with what Tom Brady is going through right now. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, he's 45. I, I, he looks pretty good last week without mm-hmm. much of a preseason. This is like becoming like a sports talk segment here. <laughs> I will say, without any receiver, really without, I mean, Godwin was in for a half. Mm-hmm. But he was on my fantasy team, Godwin, by the way. And he <laughs> got me three catches and like no points. It was really disappointing. And he's going to be out now for another week. Mm-hmm. But it's but with Brady, you know, I have to tell you that I don't know if he is ever go, really going to not be successful on the foot. He could be 55 and I still think he'd be slinging it around because he takes such good care of himself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when mentally you got to get to a point as an athlete where women get to a lot of times in, in collegiate sports, because they know that if you're lacrosse, softball, soccer, it, it most like, I mean, soccer, you can go overseas, play professionally, but it, it, it's, this is the end date. This is it. And mm-hmm. you're comfortable with that. And a lot of time on the guy's side, the men, you don't get comfortable with that. And when your dreams are squandered and you don't make it professionally, that that wears a real burden on you as you go out go on through life in your twenties. Yeah, I it there there is something to that. And I, I don't know. I like I said, I don't envy what he's going through, but mm-hmm. I, I, I do, you know, I, I I can remember every now and then like maybe having a really, really bad day my senior year in college. Mm-hmm. Like over three or three strikeout bad day and you just feel like the lowest of low and you know that you have that little voice that's in your head that's like you don't have to do this that much longer like almost telling you to look forward to when it's over and uh i don't know if that's necessarily a positive voice either it's how we try to cope right we you know yeah. my identity is so tied up in being a successful softball player so when i fail it's almost like i'm trying to rescue myself right so it doesn't hurt as bad but yeah, it is. I, I, you know, that maybe, maybe he's playing and he's realizing his first couple of weeks, it's not as magical for him. And, and these are these thoughts like, you know, maybe it would be nice to have a Thanksgiving. Maybe it would yeah. be nice to be there for not have to, your schedule is always dictated by someone else and not yourself. And that is a, I think that takes a wear and tear on you for a while, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, for the record, I hope he does enjoy his last year because I'm thinking mm-hmm. this will be his last year. And I hope that, he doesn't have those thoughts of, I can't wait till this is over, mm-hmm. but he's 45. So he's probably like, I'm, you know, whatever, <laughs> or you and I are, you know, not that old yet. Correct. So. Right. Um, anyway, so follow us on social media. Um, Cassie has some great stuff at coach Cassie underscore, uh, our, um, shit coach <laughs> underscore Cassie RB on Instagram Sorry, at, at coach Cassie RB on Twitter. Hey, last week you look, you looked down, I think mm-hmm. at something and had to, Say I had to double check it. Yeah, I was yeah. screwed up. So right. I, there's no there's no qualms about that. <laughs> I'm at Jim Tara. Very simple on both uh, Instagram and uh, <laughs> and Twitter. All right, let's get into today's episode. Episode ten: Cross functionality, untold stories from your collegiate career. You've got some good ones. I saw some some notes as we were getting ready for the show today, and um, I want to ask first about first of all, I didn't know that um, your coach Pat Murphy did interviews. And you guys, I wanted to bring this one up first because um, he did he do like a weekly because coaches do this um, at at big time schools where they do those those weekly coaches shows. Did he do mm-hmm. some sort of coaches show? Is that what it was? And you guys sort of crashed that party. So it's called a uh, Hey Coach, and it's hey it's Coach, okay. a um, so that show is weekly, and what it mm-hmm. does is it has different uh, sports coaches on every week, mm-hmm. um, and they do it at a big Buffalo Wild Wings in Tuscaloosa, and if you go to that wild wings it's you know it's like on speaker essentially the entire time but you can tune into a radio you can tune into a show i'm sure we were on an app or something listening and it was just the interview portion the guy asks murphy um hey how are things going how's the team looking 
those types of things. And it's really, it's a very like Tuscaloosa-esque thing. It's not national. It's, it's very local. And what's cool is there's a portion at the end where people can call in and talk to the coaches. And I think obviously the most popular is the Nick Saban one when Nick goes in. But, you know, what you have to understand about Alabama, especially Alabama 10, 15 years ago, was that, you know, I got to Alabama Nick Saban's second year. Mm-hmm. So football was not, had not exploded like it's currently exploded. Mm-hmm. And so much of the feel of Tuscaloosa was still like deep south, still like, you know, very like backwoods, like the only thing they care about is Alabama. So you'd get some interesting characters that would call in. And uh, one of those interesting characters was our pitcher. (laughs) And she would pretend to be this old lady named Edna from middle of nowhere, Alabama, that just would call in and and talk to Murphy. So that was, I don't think he realized till like a year or two later who that was, but What, what kind of questions would she ask? It was, you know, nothing, nothing inappropriate, just like mm-hmm. just pretending to be an old lady, just like asking, uh, you know, about uh, how the team's doing. And then she uh, would ask, like, you know, Murphy, I've noticed you have a lot of brand new sneakers, like and just like, you know, little things to just make him like a little uncomfortable. Just like, are you are you buying new sneakers? Are you did you get a new haircut? Like yeah. <laughs> you know, just things, little silly things that, you know, it's not that big of a deal but at the time we just thought it was the funniest thing on the planet and the fact that it took that it was like probably two or three years later before anyone ever clued him in asking him personal questions there's a lot there's a lot of things that happened during your freshman year as well you you Mm -hmm. sort of have an initiation of a safe one at that but you sort of have some sort of initiation you have to go through as a player um i i went through a talent show i juggled um but what is the story from your freshman year about keep your forks also too i want to ask you what what type of initiation did you guys have to do so the only the only like initiation it was our our first team meeting um Mm -hmm. freshman year and murphy sits two stools down at the very front. Mm-hmm. He puts two athletes on the stools. I think he took a, fr- a senior and a junior, and then he took a freshman to the front and put her right in the middle of the two stools. And he said, okay. And I mean, this is your first meeting ever with the team. He says, you have to stand up there for 30 seconds, no matter what. Um, you have to tell us what motivates you. And the freshman like got really wide-eyed. She's like, right now? And he's like, yep. And he goes, you have two support sisters. If you need it, they'll pat you on the back if you get nervous. Um, he starts his clock. He goes, go. <laughs> and our board, <laughs> I, the whole time that I don't even remember what Kendall said, that was the freshman though. Cause the whole time I was just thankful that I wasn't the freshman that had to go first, but that was like, you know, if anything, he's going to get us comfortable talking in front of people and um, you know, what better way to, you know, do that than to bombard you with a, Hey, here's a 30 second speech in front of your entire team and to our coaches. Um, and it's funny. Cause like something like that might've been nerve wracking for anyone else. Like, when you go, when you show up to a team and you had just watched them play at the World Series a month earlier, and they were just on ESPN, like it's it's a very weird complex to be like those were girls that like I was almost fangirling over a month ago. Mm-hmm. They were like they just seemed impossibly large to me, and now they're on my team. That yeah. is such a strange complex. So that was what our initiation, if you will. My but in that conversation at that first meeting, Murphy brings up uh, the whole concept of when he was younger, he would um, be sitting at the dinner table with his gra- like his family. And if he heard his grandma say, keep your forks, that meant something bigger and better was coming. And so that idea of the best is yet to come was always I, like, he always associated, keep your forks, the best is yet to come. So that was our theme that, that year we get to the world series and, you know, there's a lot of hype surrounding our team. We play Michigan in the first game and lose. 
And if anyone knows the format of the Women's College World Series, men's too, but Women's College World Series, when you lose that first game, you have the very next day off. Then you have to win two, a doubleheader the next day, mm. a doubleheader the day after that. Yeah. And then the very next day is the championship series. So you have to win four games in two days and that like, and on the biggest stage. So your, your ability to like, and you're playing girls that are coming off with days off that are well rested, whatever it may be. It just is, it's grueling to come out of it. So it's almost been like a death wish. There had never, maybe there had only been one team ever to lose the first game and go on to win it. And um, so we lose the first game. The next day we have a practice day. We come back from practice and we look inside our rooms. I mean, there must have been thousands of forks that they purchased because there was forks and plastic our, forks, plastic forks. Yes. Yeah. In our shoes and our bags. Like I think the coaches and some of the support staff had, you know, gotten the keys to get into the girls' rooms. And it was just one of those things where it was like, okay, we're not done yet. The best can can be yet to come. Um it's a very for sure to, to walk into that. Granted, we didn't win, but we went the next day and we, we knocked off the number one team in the country, the defending national champion. And then we went to the next day, we made it to the semis, you know, so it's had some cool moments coming off of that for sure. <laughs> yeah. And again, we're, we're going through this exercise today because for potential future college softball players and what they can expect, there's a lot of stories that are untold that mm -hmm. they can expect to happen. And, and a lot of times it provides um, a lot of fun. What is um, Lamb Rhonda mentioned that as well? <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't even read the word at first. Yep. What is that? Okay. So we had a night practice. Uh, it was my junior year. Um, mm -hmm. so we had a night practice and we show up and that this word L A M R O N B A. I had to like, I had to really be careful. Spelling it was written huge on our scoreboard mm -hmm. and our team is sitting there and we're like, like just, you know, no idea what this was. What are our coaches trying to do? And then on top of it, they hand out t-shirts with this written on it. And we had come off of a season the year before. We were ranked number one in the country. We lose in Super Regionals at home on a walk-off. They changed the rule now. You can't have the away team be the home team. But we lose on a walk-off home run to the number 16 seed. And so we were coming in that year, and, like, we didn't really have that much support from – the community you could just tell they were pissed you know we were we had high expectations the year before and this whole i think the whole thing murphy was trying to do was bond our team over something kind of funny but he he goes does anyone know what this word is and i think someone figured it out it was abnormal spelt backwards and mm -hmm. he's like in order for us to be successful in this environment we're gonna mm -hmm. have to be abnormal like we're gonna have to look funny do things that other people don't realize is working and be okay with it and I think part of that was like being okay walking around with a shirt with something silly on it. And I know it seems like a silly concept, but you know, when uh when Edna would call into these these radio shows, <laughs> that was one of the questions. She's like, I've seen your girls walking around with something funky on their shirt, you know. So <laughs> what was his answer to that? Oh, you know what? He I think he I think he explained, you know, the the idea behind it. Um, but it was it was one of those things, again, it was it seemed so silly at the time. But in so many ways, when you talk about like the culture of a team and getting people to bond over something that, you know, is no one else is going to get, it's, it, it, it worked. It, essentially it worked. If, you know, whatever happened, Murph understood the culture of that team and, and it worked for the culture of that team that year. Um, and I do think, you know, the, I know the national champ championship happened in that 2012 season, but when you have six seniors that experienced so much the four years before and could carry over, like, that junior class already had two years under their belt. That sophomore class already had a year under their belt. The The national championship is usually a culmination of the four years leading up to it. You know, there's so much that had gone on. 
leading up to it. So anyway, it was just, again, one of those like silly fun stories that doesn't really get told, but is, is it kind of lends to Murphy's coaching style and, and how he got people to bond over. Were there, any, were there any funny stories at hotels on road trips? Um, there has to be some little thing that sticks out that you remember. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, t- I talked about the Valley toss, like throwing that Frisbee across the entire hotel. That mm-hmm. was, that was a big deal. Um, I, when I think of those memories, we we had we always had so much fun being with each other. And what was cool is it wasn't the starters and non-starters. It wasn't the pitchers and catchers and everyone else. It was you had someone who was a freshman who never played hanging out with a senior All-American, and they'd go to lunch together. And I think that is that's rare. It's I say it's rare on female teams mainly just because female teams are more susceptible potentially to clicks. But I know a bunch of guys like guys have female or guys have clicks too. Um, I do think female clicks. Sure. Of yeah. course they do. No <laughs> doubt. <laughs> They'll have clicks on their team too, but I don't know. We just, uh, I think that was, that was important. We, we genuinely enjoyed each other's company. There was, we had one, one girl who was in school to be a kindergarten teacher and they were learning how to do the row, row, row your boat round. where like, you know, two people would start and then two people would start after that. And so mm-hmm. she would practice with our, with our class every now and then, or with, oh, our, God. with our team every now and then on the bus. <laughs> oh my God. So like, you know, little things like that. We, uh, you know what, one thing I, I meant to write down, I didn't, um, when we got done, probably cause I, I was not a fan of it, but obviously it worked out. There was no social media. I think there was just YouTube really. That was, you know, Twitter was one thing that was a little bit more serious. YouTube was this big wide open thing. Yeah. And uh, flip cameras were a thing that was like an HD mm-hmm. film. Like the Motorola Razor. <laughs> right, because you couldn't get high quality off your phone. So Remember those commercials? The Razor would like slice through things? Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so camera or phone cameras were not high quality. So they had like flip camera or HD. It was like the name of the company or whatever it was. And so I had one teammate, Caleb Rowe from Oregon. We would get done playing. Uh, we'd get done with school. We'd have about a month to just play. We'd practice, lift weights, and then we'd have the rest of the day to kind of be like, what are we going to do? And she coordinated, uh, like, music videos, essentially, like, to how what makes you beautiful. I think One Direction was, like, a really big band at the time. Mm-hmm. So, again, stuff that you would think, I'm like, are these 12-year-olds or are these this is the number one team in the country? But I think the whole point of it is we had to find opportunities to have fun because there was so much pressure from – trying to win a national championship so yeah did you guys have a study hall as well not after school was over so you had study hall as a freshman that was mandatory if you Mm -hmm. hit a certain gpa you didn't have to go to study hall anymore you always had the opportunity it was an athlete only study hall so you had tutors and resources there if you needed it but then when you finished finals and you there you weren't taking classes during the month of may you were just playing softball you know and that was so there really wasn't any other requirement besides eat, lift, train, practice, then that was it. Go make dinner and watch movies with your team. <laughs> yeah. I was tempted to ask this if I was going to or not. I have to ask it, though. So I, I apologize ahead of time. Go for it. Parties. Mm-hmm. Did you guys have houses you would go to? I'm, I'm guessing you probably didn't party with, like, you know, frats and sororities. But, mm-hmm. you know, because being a college athlete, you're in your own sorority pretty much and fraternity. Um, well, party atmosphere. Was there really any of that going on? Any, any cool stories from, from that? Really, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things there really wasn't. And if anything, like 
if we had a party, it was our team hanging out at a house together okay. and it was in the off season. And, and even still, we probably had over half the girls on our team who didn't drink, which yeah. was, you could still go to a party and not drink obviously. But, uh, I, I, rem I remember my freshman year, uh, it was, I think we had like a three day, three days off or something like that. So the whole team had gotten together and I don't think it was necessarily like, oh, we were afraid that we were going to get caught doing something else. It was just, yes, people wanted to be careful, but I don't know. There's, we just, we hung out with who we hung out with and maybe we had a couple of other friends come here and there, but I distinctly remember writing one of my best English papers I ever had to write sitting at the kitchen table while our whole team was hanging out at a party, if you will. It was just our team at a house um, on a Sunday night. And we didn't play or didn't have practice. I think it's like a Wednesday. <laughs> so, okay. So what did you, what did you do after football games though? Uh, you guys, you mentioned that you guys tail used to tailgate. Yeah, we would tailgate, but again, there was no, especially in public, there was rarely drinking or anything like that, but we would probably Friday nights, you'd go and you'd get caution tape and you'd tape off your tailgating spot. Mm -hmm. We'd have the next day, we'd have a spot. Um, we'd have our table. We would hang out and listen to music. It was, yeah, I mean, I guess you could call it we we hung out a lot, but I'm also like you, you people would know like I'm the last person to ever want to be at a party, to ever want to go out and do stuff. So if there yeah. was stuff going on, maybe I just wasn't privy to it. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I have a quick story from my freshman year. There was a there's a lacrosse player, her name was Nikki. And I was talking to her at a at a party and I uh I told her that uh, at the time this was two thousand eight. And I told her I liked the song um, Disturbia by Rihanna. <laughs> and she looked at me like I had like I had steaming turds hanging out of my mouth. <laughs> I mean, she looked at me like I, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. And I still don't know why to this day. Why, <laughs> what's so wrong with liking that song? I was very naive. She was a year older than me. I was a very uh -huh. naive freshman. Mm -hmm. And I told her that and she she wasn't having it that's funny yeah no. she literally looked at me and said you like that song <laughs> i was so embarrassed i was already embarrassed and felt a little insecure because i had a water in my hand instead of like mm -hmm. a beer mm -hmm. so yeah you know if anything that like, just ruined it for me yeah, you know what and what you just said too like i think some people you're gonna it's gonna it's gonna completely change college to college timeline to timeline right like yeah. what goes on at the university of alabama right now is very different than obviously what i experienced even what people experienced four or five years ago but no one is going to fault you for not drinking. No one is going to fault you for not wanting to do something. And I think there is this misconception that people feel like they have to. Um, and it was like one of the coolest things in the world when I got there. That was the first, like all my friends in high school drank, all the people I knew, all the people on the softball team. And then all of a sudden I got to college and half the people were like, no, it's just not something I do. Yeah. Um so it, it, it you guys was, are the outliers though you're you you separated yourself be. yeah it, it, you it know, has to be but it's playing at one of the biggest schools in the country what also i think is neat is like that didn't affect the team it wasn't you know i do think hanging out outside of your sport is very important to team culture i think a lot of team bonding can happen at those parties um i i i, I do think that that can be a good thing it just you know it doesn't have to be what people maybe think and see on in, in movies as like what it has to be, you know, this big to do, you know? Right. And then in those movies, by the way, you don't ever see athletes really joining the party. It's always the. Yeah. I, I, you know, I do remember talking to, um, or we had, I was in high school. There was a girl who used to play at UCLA, very, very good pitcher. And she had transferred into UCLA mm -hmm. and she you know, was, was younger. Like she went to this party. She didn't, she wanted to try to fit in and someone handed her a cigarette. And so she just took it. 
Yeah. And the senior captain from the team walked across the room, grabbed the cigarette, pointed at her and said, we do not do this here. We're UCLA. And, or we're UCLA softball. Or, and, and it mm. was just this pride in like, one, like how you take care of your body, but two, that perception. Because the other thing of it too is we can, we always said perception is reality. If someone sees a senior getting drunk at a bar and whatever, maybe on the softball team, people are going to say, well, nah, the softball team doesn't take things so seriously. The softball team doesn't, isn't as competitive. And we just prided ourselves so much on, we wanted to win that national championship. And if that meant sacrificing, getting to go out and do all those things, like, so be it. There wasn't, that wasn't an easy, easy trade-off for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more like that at big time schools than, than smaller schools um mm-hmm. a quick story my cousin two my two of my cousins went to clemson university and one of my cousins happened to be at a i don't know some sort of apartment party get together um with uh etn what's his first name shit travis travis mm-hmm. etn when he was still at clemson and she told me that he wasn't he was drinking uh water he did he was not drinking he was still having a good time but um he wasn't he wasn't drinking. He didn't really succumb to that. I don't know if you have the air quote, the, the peer pressure at that age, but he wasn't doing what other people were doing. Sure. He was drinking water um, as that athlete. at the, I think he was the lone athlete at that party. Yeah. And you could still like, I still enjoyed going and hanging out and meeting people and seeing people like if like at tailgates, let's say, and, and whatever else it may be, but mm-hmm. it just wasn't, I don't know. There was never a, for a lot of us, there wasn't need for it. Also the other thing too, is like, we played in college right when Tim Tebow was, I felt like at his, had his peak of popularity. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if anyone made popular, like, you know, certainly it aligns with the Christian lifestyle. And I was in the middle of the South, the middle of the Bible belt. And that was, I think, very popular to talk about, not as popular to talk about in other parts of the country, um, specifically where I came from in New York. But still, I think it just, I think you could, you could look to him and be like, okay, here's one of the best college athletes ever who's very public about not drinking and not doing all these things. So yeah, I just, you know, I think our team like always thought it was so strange. We worked so hard to eat as well as we did. We worked so hard to work out in the weight room. We worked mm-hmm. so hard to train and we came so close every year and lost. Like yeah. we did everything we could and we lost. And so it was almost like, why were we going to now go do that? Like <laughs> right, right. so bad. So I don't know. We just, I guess it was easier for us. I don't know. I had a teammate, um, Eric, um, who he didn't drink until he turned 21 at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember during our initiation, um, there was some thing, and him and I would drink. Uh, we drank like a bunch of milk because we didn't we didn't drink until we were 21. And I remember I looked at him as kind of like um, a reinforcement of my willpower if you will mm-hmm. and um you know for me it it draws a parallel to your career is going to end sometime you don't know when that is for most men most women it's going to end you know when you're 21 22 when you're done with college so you're going to have and you're legal at 21 22 to drink you're going to have all that time to be able to drink a beer here and there or drink go out and drink with your friends My point is that if you're a college athlete or prospective college athlete listening to this, you not drinking, there's no reason that you should succumb to peer pressure and there's nothing wrong with you not drinking at an 
illegal age, let's be honest, but but drinking with other people because you're striving for something for an athletic career that you've worked for that will one day come to an end. And you don't want anything, in my opinion, you don't want anything to stop you from having success. Right. Right. And I, I do think it's hard because you have people who try to use these like scare tactic conversations. I, I, that's what I felt like in high school. I felt like in high school, we got told if you think this is going to happen to you, blah, 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 you're going to, your body's going to feel like garbage. And then all of a sudden that happens if someone drinks and they don't, they don't feel like garbage and like, well, wait a second, this is not so bad. Or mm-hmm. they uh, hear stories of like someone else that is parties all the time and still is successful. That is an outlier in its, in its own self as well. Yeah. Sorry. We had somebody make an appearance. That's okay. Let's say hi. Hello the dog for those listening not watching you can see this golden doodle on softball strength academy episode 10 but i i you know i do i got some hair in my mouth i do i do agree with you there and i i think there is a lot of peer pressure um especially at smaller schools to um to do things that you really shouldn't be doing as as an athlete and i think it, it really takes away and yes it is bonding it is culture but just hearing about some of the bigger schools and your experience at the University of Alabama. Um, I just wonder what all athletes do across the spectrum, male and female, um, that that helps them to stay on track and and work towards those goals. Mm. And certainly, everybody's not everybody's not like you or I. Everybody's not like the one athlete or you know a group of athletes who doesn't drink. There are athletes out there who do do that, but I'm starting to believe that it's more far in between than what people make it out to be. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. And it's, um, you know, some people will call, well, it's like, you know, it's the same thing as if, you know, I, I eat bad on a, uh, at night. And I'm like, well, it is until you, you, you brought up a good point. You are technically doing something illegal. And if you're underage, and I think the other ramification of that is too, you don't know what um, legal official you're going to run into if they've had some terrible run-ins with other athletes and they want to make an example of an athlete, you know, it's, you know, or like some, you know, because certainly I think people have this perception like, oh, athletes have this like free pass sometimes. Like I'm an athlete. Like if I get in trouble, it's not that big of a deal. You just, why risk that? Because at the end of the day, you're representing your team on the front of your Jersey. And then you're representing your family with the name that's on the back of your Jersey. And I think that is a greater responsibility when you're considering whether or not you should be doing something. And also you're representing your season ticket holders and for for full context purposes, you guys had a beautiful ballpark still do to this day. And a lot of bigger schools, baseball and softball, you guys do have season ticket holders. What was the story about you guys having to deliver season tickets? That was, that was very cool. You know, we kind of got surprised that we, at the end of practice, Murph had packets. He he paired us up. He said, okay, you guys are going to go deliver these season tickets to our season ticket holders. And I got to go with, you know, Jackie Trano one year, who is, um, with like the you know she's the the pitcher the face yeah. of like and so and on, on top of it too like if you're not used to seeing like a six foot six foot one individual it's like uh, especially a girl like it there some of these athletes are very physically imposing so to knock on the door and to see girls like little girls like <gasps> mom <laughs> jackie train is at our door <laughs> like, yeah. or like people pull the cut you know so that was so cool. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that was like worth every parent's, you know, whatever money they end up spending. But there were some that, you know, you drive 30 minutes out, you drive down a small dirt road, you go up to this porch. We had we had one where I'm sure they don't get visitors very often for how out of the way it is. 
and uh, and and my foot fell right through the porch, and it was like it Ooh. felt like a little bit of a horror story. It ended yeah, up being it's right, starting to sound that way. Where we like yeah. tossed the tickets on the front step and ran. <laughs> I was gonna, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, you had to run, or else you're gonna be on the next episode of freaking Dateline. That's, that's that what it felt like. Yeah. So that's, but uh, you know, <laughs> one or two of those scenarios, but probably us just spooking ourselves. Uh, it was it was an enjoyable experience, but there were some funny. You know, we'd come back and meet at the at the. Uh, at the clubhouse and talk about some of the funnier stories that we did get, or, you know, it's funny to see, a, uh, an, uh, like older, we had a, we had a big, um, uh, older population of, of fans to, so mm -hmm. to see like little old ladies. And, and the other thing of it is too, is legally at the time we couldn't accept anything. Like if they wanted to give us, even if they wanted to like give us a gift for coming or like invite us in to have food, like we weren't allowed to accept that. So, you know, we had little old ladies and little like that just wanted to like make us food and give us something. And, and we had it. We had to say no to that. But it was so we always had good stories that came out of, of doing that. I thought that was a very neat touch that our coaches did for us. Yeah, that's a great story you just mentioned, because I, I just thought of how you and I both grew up in the Northeast. And for me uh, in, in Philadelphia, everything was Eagles, Eagles, Eagles from September. Well, really, from all, unless depending on how the Phillies were doing from September until, you know, January, whatever. And then of course with New York and New York and you've got, you know, 8,000 different teams, but college football, college sports is not on the radar, but hearing the passion of fans who live in Tuscaloosa, who live in that Bible belt and fans of that, of that sport or those sports, that, that school's athletic activities, kind of like a Penn state. Um, it's really something different and it's a really unique and fun experience. Yes, I, I think so. There's no pro team. The closest pro team is the Braves, probably, you know, three, three and a right. half hours away. And yeah. they really do rally behind their college athletes. And it, I felt so supported. I felt, you know, to go to a restaurant and have someone tap you on the shoulder and be like, can we have your autograph? And, and they're grown yes. people like it is very it is it is an experience I'll never have again. And it is um, it was special. It was it, and, and especially coming, you know, I think some of my teammates who grew up in the South kind of had an idea of, of what that looked like. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was, it, it, it was, it was a, it was a good shock. It was a good culture shock to see how much they loved us and supported us and, and all of that. So that was very neat. Well, be sure to email us Jimbo podcast 21 at gmail.com next week. We're going to discuss how an athlete can navigate that post athletic life. Mm -hmm. um, and we already kind of touched on it today, but we'll just dive in and discuss it a lot more next week that is episode 11 be sure to tune in to the lab epstein hitting podcast youtube page it's that the lab dash epstein hitting podcast youtube page and follow the show and subscribe apple google spotify just like this one as well apple mm -hmm. google spotify and on youtube softball strength academy what do you got going on at um speaking of which softball strength academy yeah, yeah. So Instagram, uh, be on the lookout for at Softball Strength Academy. That'll be way more uh, geared towards our softball mental game, softball hitting. Um, uh, we have some new posts. I just filmed, I think, 27 new posts the other day. So we'll have wow. some yeah. new content coming down the pipeline there. Um, any type of thrown content you want to look at, it's at Velo University. And then our strength and conditioning, basically what both of these companies are powered by is Athletes Warehouse. We've been around since 2014. And you can look at that content at, at athletes.warehouse on Instagram. Very good. Very, cool. very good. Thank and you. also in two weeks, we will be talking about keeping a hitting journal. We'll be getting into some coaching topics as well. Thank you for listening and watching, and we will talk to you next week.